You're listening to the sermon cast of First Presbyterian Church Spartanburg. To watch the full video of this worship service and to learn more about the ministries of our church, visit us online at fpcspartanburg.org. We hope you enjoy the message. As Craig mentioned, our second reading today is a continuation of our fall sermon series. We're nearing the end of it now. It is a series where we have been studying different stories from both the Old and the New Testament, stories of ordinary people through whom God works extraordinary things. Today, we are turning to the story of a tax collector. Now, this is not Zacchaeus, who is probably the most famous tax collector in the New Testament. This is a slightly lesser known character from earlier in Luke's gospel, a tax collector named Levi. And Levi, along with several other characters in Luke's gospel, generate a lot of controversy. And here we have one of the earliest controversies over what it really looks like to be included in God's kingdom. So let us turn our attention once more to the scriptures as we hear these verses from the gospel of Luke, the fifth chapter, beginning with the 27th verse. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi, Luke reports. Levi was sitting at the tax booth, and Jesus said to him, follow me. And Levi got up. He left everything, and he followed Jesus. Then Levi gave a great banquet for him in his house. And there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others who were sitting at the table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to Jesus' disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and with sinners? And Jesus answered, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have come, he says. I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Friends, this too is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you join me once more in prayer? Let us pray. Gracious and almighty God, send your spirit now that it would fill this space, but more than that, that it would fill the space within our own hearts. That through its work, O God, the words of my mouth and indeed the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and glorifying to you. For you and you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. There's a famous story of sorts about Stanley Hauerwas. Hauerwas is a legendary professor at Duke University's School of Divinity. And the story goes that Hauerwas, from time to time, will open one of his classes at the beginning of a semester by reading a letter to all of his students. This is a letter that has been written, he tells his class, by a parent who is writing to complain to uh, an official, a government official. So he begins to read the letter, and the letter begins with the parent explaining to the official that they have done everything in their power to prepare their child for the brightest future possible. So they have got this child all of the opportunities that any child could possibly want growing up. They've got their child into the best schools throughout every stage of their education, 
Right? They've done everything to tee this kid up for a great future. But, the parent explains in their letter to this official, just as their child was preparing to head off into a promising career as a lawyer, they have now found themselves entwined with this kooky religious sect. The parent writes to this official to complain about this religious group's intrusion into their child's life. Right? They lay it all out for the official in the letter. They start talking about how this religious group that their child is now spending all of his or her time with, Sweet Jimmy, Little Betty Lou, I don't know what their name was, but how this group is now telling their child who they should spend their time with, how they should eat in some situations. They're telling their child even, and get this, the audacity that this group has is telling their child how they should use their financial resources how they should allocate these gifts that in some cases the parents have given to their child. So they write just beside themselves. What are you going to do? You're in power. Do something, right? So Howard Wass reads this letter and then he turns to his class and he says, who do you think that this letter is describing? In the class of all these eager divinity students, they begin to shout out every name of every kooky religious group that you can think of, right? And finally, they get rid of all the names, and Howard Wass turns to them, and he says, well, what if I told you this letter I've just read to you is a composite, in fact, of different letters that were all written by parents in the third century, writing to Roman officials to complain about this religious group that their children have gotten all involved in that is called, can you guess? Christianity. The church. I feel like for us today, that can be sort of this mind bending type of thing, like this notion that the church in some way can be a subversive community, a dangerous entity, right? That this could possibly, I don't know, make claims upon how we allocate our time and our energy and our money. It might actually change how we look at the world, who we consider to be our neighbor. God forbid, it might even change how we vote. Right? I mean, this is kind of a foreign concept for us. I was actually thinking this week as I was reading this story, it occurred to me, you know, I've had all of these parents across the years of ministry come and visit with me to tell me how concerned they were that their children were not going to church. But the more I thought about it, the more it occurred to me that I've never had a parent come and sit in my office with me upset and worried because their child was going to church. Right? I think the story today, the story of Levi, is maybe the very first story in the Gospels that gives us a hint that the kingdom, the kingdom that Jesus has come to inaugurate, the church that Jesus will soon establish that this kingdom and this church is maybe not what we expect. Maybe even not what we really want. Right? Levi is introduced to us, as we mentioned already, as a tax collector. But he's not like Zacchaeus. He's not one of the chief tax collectors. He's probably a few notches down on the food chain. Almost certainly works for a Zacchaeus-type character, but still... Levi is attached to this corrupt and oppressive system of taxation in the ancient world, especially 
that would take event, uh, uh, it would take advantage of people, particularly people out at the margins of society, right? It would always lay this undue burden on people's shoulders because the tax collectors would go around and they collect the tax and then they might collect a little extra. And if this is your neighbor and you know you can't say no because you know who he works for, you probably don't think too highly of old Levi. And yet this is the person who Jesus goes to with no explanation. It just says Jesus goes to Levi and he says, follow me. And Levi does. He leaves everything, Luke tells us. Leaves everything. But then in the very next breath, he throws a party. Do you all hear the incongruity in that? I mean, imagine leaving your job, your source of income, your source of uh, welfare for your entire family. I don't know about you. I love a good spreadsheet. If the church says, Alan, you're out, you all kick me to the curb tomorrow, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go fire up that spreadsheet. I'm going to go check out all my bank accounts. I'm going to go to the pantry. I'm going to inventory all my food. My rational brain is going to immediately start to make plans to figure out how can I make what I have last as long as possible. And you know what's not going to be high on my list of priorities when I do that? Throwing a party. (laughs) And yet that's what Levi does. I mean, he literally has just lost his paycheck. Mortgage payment's still going to come. Utility bill's still going to be in the mail. He's going to have to find that money somewhere. But what does he do? He throws a party. A big one, apparently. There's a great crowd, Luke tells us, that comes to this party. I mean, this is concerning behavior Levi is demonstrating in this story. And so we're not surprised I mean, some of us may even kind of understand why the Pharisees and the scribes do what they do. They sit down to write a letter. They write this letter that begins, what is this Jesus guy's deal? I mean, he is doing some kooky stuff. He's eating with sinners and tax collectors. Remember, this isn't the first disciple, Levi. He's not the first one Jesus calls. Earlier in chapter 5, Jesus goes along the Sea of Galilee, the young men's Bible study. We're working our way through Luke, actually, and we just read this last week. He goes to the Sea of Galilee, and he calls some fishermen, including a fisherman named Simon Peter. And Simon Peter, what does he do? He gets down on his knees, Luke tells us, and he says, Go away from me, Jesus, for I am a sinner. Now Jesus has added to the list tax collectors. This is some crazy stuff Jesus is up to. Right? These scribes and Pharisees are writing to the authorities above them and saying, listen, this Jesus guy is making people make some unwise decisions. Some of the things that Levi is doing now, he's going to come back to regret when the bank comes calling, when his belly starts rumbling. But, you know, I think that the real concern that the Pharisees and scribes have here is something that's actually unspoken. At the very end of this passage, Jesus says something really interesting. He tells that crowd, he says, I have come not to call the righteous, but to call sinners to repentance. Now, repentance is a word that we have talked about here uh, at First Pres. It's a word that literally means to turn around, to change one's life. It's a major theme in Luke's gospel in particular, this idea that the call of God through the prophets actually demands something upon us. It demands that we have to change how we do things. It demands that we have to turn our own lives and start walking in a different, a new direction. 
But for the religious scribes and Pharisees, they know that word too, repentance, but it means something very different for them. Repentance for the religious authorities of the day almost certainly looked more like fasting. It looked more like a life that went into quiet, contemplative prayer. It looked more like purification, repentance, regret, sorrow. And so they are disturbed because what they see here in this Jesus and the repentance he seems to be calling people to is that the one that he calls us to is a repentance that looks like a life that is altered towards joy, towards a party. It's a life that looks like it is changed and called to face towards uh, feasting rather than fasting. It's an interesting difference there. Right? The repentance that Jesus is calling us towards in this story of Levi, at least, is a life of radical welcome. A party where sinners and tax collectors are offered prime seats, not the seats at the tables pushed up against the back wall. Right? This is not the kind of repentance or life that the Pharisees and the scribes expect. And it's certainly not the kind of repentance or life that they particularly want. I remember reading or hearing about a church uh, that surveyed some new members a few years ago. These are people who had joined their church in the last year. And they asked the new members to tell them why they joined the church. What would you expect, right? I mean, they expected to get responses like, well, I joined the church because of the pastors or the programming or the preaching. Or I joined the church because I looked around and I saw a lot of faces that looked like mine. I even saw some friends there and I thought, well, you know, it's good enough for them. I guess I might as well sign up. But that's not what they found in this survey. The number one reason that people in this church said they had joined that community in the last year was because when they came to church there, they saw people, they said, that were the kind of people they wanted to become. They came to church at this particular congregation, and they saw people imperfect, broken, sinful people. They didn't have halos over their heads. But they saw a group of people who were practicing that radical welcome, that radical hospitality. Right? They saw a kind of church that, that actually welcomed people who, who wore their sickness a little bit more visibly than others. Right? It's always amazing to me, and there's a physician language in here, right? Any doctor here knows you can't be a self-respecting doctor without going towards the sick. You don't go into medicine to try and keep the sick far away, right? To do your craft, to live into your calling, you actually have to put yourself in proximity to the sick. And we as the church say we're a hospital for the broken and for sinners. And yet so often people feel like their sickness and their brokenness, well, if there's one place they really can't show it, it's here. Right, these people joined that church because they looked around and they saw a church full of people who spent their time and energy and money even in ways that just didn't compute, that no spreadsheet could possibly make sense of. They saw a church that practiced more joyful feasting rather than sorrowful fasting. Y'all have heard my mantra before, the church that eats together sticks together, Right? Here's case in point. 
I think Jesus and the story of Levi is trying to show those scribes and those Pharisees and those third century parents and us the type of people that God wants us to become. To be individuals, but also communities that repent. Repent not just as turning away from something, but repent also by turning towards something. Individuals and communities of people who repent towards a life, an existence, that is so helplessly hopeful and how they lead their lives and practice their faith. To be these people who repent towards a life that is so helplessly hopeful that when other people come into its orbit, when other people walk through the doors on a Sunday morning or meet one of you in the grocery store aisle on a Tuesday night, To be a community of people who, when people come into our orbit, they can't do anything but just throw their hands up, pull out a piece of paper and a pen, and sit down to write a letter, a letter not of complaint, but a letter with a question. Where do I join? How do I become a part of, of a community like that. Friends, in Levi's story, Jesus is inviting each of us to this life that doesn't always make sense, sure didn't make sense for the scribes and Pharisees, but a life that when we enter into it, we encounter mercy and grace and healing love unlike we encounter anywhere else in our world. Friends, may we be that kind of community, the kind of community that people are confused by, angry even at times like those parents, but the kind of community that ultimately shows people what the resurrection life is all about a life that does more than heal us. It makes us hopeful. Hopeful in a way that the world catches a glimpse of the kind of hope they yearn for so deeply, the kind of hope that we know and have found in Jesus Christ alone. I don't know what you call a church like that. I guess the church of Levi, the church of Jesus Christ. May it be so. May it be so. Amen.